You're listening to the Dibbly Dobbly Podcast. Remember to like, share, comment, subscribe, and click the bell to make sure you get the latest episodes of the podcast. Be sure to like and share our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and on Instagram. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Dibbly Dobbly Podcast. On today's episode of the podcast, we review the second test between Pakistan and Australia from the National Stadium. It's the Dibbly Dobbly Podcast. And let's get started. Let's have a look at the match summary from the second test between Pakistan and Australia from the National Stadium. Australia batted first and made 9 for 556 declared in their first innings. Kawaja top scored with 160 and Ashraf and Sajid Khan took two wickets each for Pakistan. Pakistan in reply in their first innings were bowled out for 148. Azam top scored with 36 and Stark took three wickets for Australia. Australia, in their second innings, finished on two for 97 declared. Labashain and Kawaja both top-scored with 44, and a wicket each for Afridi and Hassan Ali for Pakistan. Pakistan needed 506 runs to win in the second innings. They finished on seven for 443. Azam top-scored with 196, and Lyon took four wickets for Australia. The match was drawn, and the man of the match was Babar Azam. What were the key moments and key factors from this second test between Pakistan and Australia? Australia's batting getting to 9 for 556 declared in their first innings. The partnerships of 82 for the first wicket between Kawaja and Warner, 159 for the third wicket between Kawaja and Smith, and 98 for the eighth wicket between Stark and Kerry were all crucial contributions to help Australia reach their first inning score of 9 for 556 declared. Australia's bowling to dismiss Pakistan for 148 in their first innings, which gave them a big first innings lead of 408 runs. Australia's batting in their second innings, getting to 2 for 97 declared, which helped them extend their lead and set Pakistan a target of 506 runs to win. Pakistan's batting, the partnerships of 228 for the third wicket between Azam and Shafiq, and 115 for the fifth wicket between Rizwan and Azam, helped Pakistan to save and draw the test match. Those were the key moments and key factors from this second test at the National Stadium. Let's have a look at both teams' performances in this second test at the National Stadium with both bat and ball. We'll start with Pakistan and their batsmen. Shafiq, 13 and 96. Al-Haq, 20 and 1. Azhar Ali, 14 and 6. Azam, 36 and 196. Alam, 0 and 9. And Rizwan, 6 and 104, not out. That's how the Pakistan batsmen went about things in this second test from the National Stadium. I thought Pakistan's batting in their first innings was poor, which saw them get bowled out for 148. They lost wickets at regular intervals, 1 for 26, 2 for 45, 3 for 60, 4 for 60, 5 for 76, 6 for 81, 7 for 97, 8 for 102, 9 for 118, and all out for 148. They didn't build any partnerships at all. 26, 19, 15, 0, 16, 5, 16, 5, 16, and 30. All the batsmen struggled playing the reverse swing, which was being created by the Australian bowlers, and that was the undoing of the Pakistan batsmen in their first innings to get bowled out for 148. Um, But in the second innings, Pakistan's batting in their second innings was much better than their first innings performance with the bat. Pakistan needed to improve and show a bit of fight and character with the bat in their second innings to ensure they got a draw after Australia set them an improbable target of 506 runs to win. They didn't lose wickets at regular intervals. They were able to build partnerships, two crucial partnerships in particular, 228 for the third wicket between Azam and Shafiq and 115 for the fifth wicket between Rizwan and Azam. Those partnerships were able to guide Pakistan to draw this test match and were very crucial for Pakistan. Without those partnerships, Pakistan may have not drawn this test match. Also, the batsmen were able to apply themselves and were prepared to play the long innings. Uh, Babrasan obviously batted for his magnificent 196. He faced over 425 uh, balls. Shafiq for his 96. He batted for over 306 balls. And Rizwan for his 104 not out. He batted for over 177 balls. So good to see that those three batsmen in particular and the other batsmen from Pakistan were able to um, 
played the long innings, were prepared to play some nutritional cricket uh, to get Pakistan over the line to draw this test match, which was a monumental effort from Pakistan to draw this test match after being bowled out for 148. They were able to uh, learn from the lessons from the first innings, um, look to get better and improve. They did that and they were able to draw the test match, all led by a superb innings from Babrizam of 196 and a brilliant century from Rizwan, 104 not out, and Shafiq of 96. Those three innings from those three batsmen and those partnerships they had were very crucial in terms of Pakistan drawing this test match. Some stats from Pakistan's batting in the second innings, some stats to come out of Pakistan's marathon batting effort in their second innings. Pakistan's 171.4 overs in Karachi in the fourth innings is the longest to save a test. And Pakistan's 171.4 overs are also the fifth longest by team in the fourth innings of a test match. Pakistan's 171.4 overs in their second innings is the longest they have batted in the fourth innings of a test, surpassing 145 overs against Australia in 2016 in Brisbane. The total of 7 for 443 by Pakistan in Karachi is also their second highest fourth innings total behind the 450 all-out in the same test in Brisbane against Australia. The partnership of 228 between Babar Azam and Abdullah Shafiq, the second highest stand for the third wicket in the fourth innings and the second highest for Pakistan in the fourth innings of a test match. The highest is 242 between Shan Masood and Yunus Khan for the third wicket against Sri Lanka in 2015. So some batting stats there from Pakistan's marathon innings to try and save this test match. Um, some, some interesting stats there. Um... Let's talk about those three batsmen I mentioned earlier, Babar Azam, Shafiq and Rizwan. We'll start with Babar Azam. What a captain's knock from him. Um, he batted magnificently for his 196. His first century since 2020. His last century was against Bangladesh at Raw Pindi back in 2020. And now this 196 is his second century in two years. Um, so this century means a lot to Babar Azam. He came in when Pakistan were 2 for 21 inside 22.2 overs and were in a bit of trouble. Australia were bowling well at that stage and Pakistan wasn't really going anywhere with the scoreboard. They were looking to survive. But um, they were in a bit of trouble and if they lost another wicket, it would have been uh, very difficult for them to draw this test match. But he came in, he showed a lot of great mental toughness, resilience and self-belief and wanted to make sure he was there at the end to help Pakistan draw the test match. He nearly survived until the end, but got out and missed out on the double century as well. He got out to Nathan Lyon uh, for 196 towards the end. Disappointed with himself, uh, but he should be proud of his innings. You know, it was a, a class innings from a class player. Um, also had key partnerships, as I mentioned before, with um, Shafiq for the third wicket of 228. And for the fifth wicket between him and Rizwan of 115, those two partnerships were very crucial in terms of Pakistan drawing this match. Um, and they took time out of the game. They frustrated Australia with those two partnerships. Australia couldn't get the wickets going. And they did well to blunt the Australian attack and show a bit of fight and character and resistance with the bat. Um, with him at the crease, Pakistan had that belief that they were going to draw this test match. And they did. Um, he played well. He led from the front. He gave the belief. And Pakistan delivered. Now, let's... Um, talk about some stats from Babar Azam's innings of 196. Babar Azam's 196 is the highest individual score for a captain in the fourth innings of a test. The previous highest was 185 not out by Michael Atherton against South Africa in Johannesburg in 1995. Babar Azam batted for 603 minutes in his innings, which is the second longest fourth innings in terms of minutes batted in a test. Michael Atherton spent 643 minutes for his 185 not out against South Africa in 1995. Babar Assam's 196 is the highest individual score for Pakistan in the fourth innings of a test, surpassing Yunus Khan's 171 not out against Sri Lanka in 2015. Babar Assam's 196 is the seventh highest fourth innings score in test cricket and the highest in the fourth innings against Australia. Kumar Sankankara previously held the record with 192 in the 2007 Hobart test, and Babrazam faced over 425 balls in his innings, the fourth longest fourth innings in terms of balls faced in tests where balls faced data is available. The previous longest for Pakistan was 369 balls by Shoaib Malik. 
during his unbeaten 148 against Sri Lanka in 2006. So some stats here from Babrazam's marathon innings of 196 in this test match. Just to finish off on, on Babrazam, brilliant, brilliant innings for him. Uh, this will do his confidence the world of good going forward to the, the final test match and will make him determine to back up this performance and get another century and hopefully guide Pakistan to a series win against Australia, which will be a very historical moment for Pakistan. So brilliant innings from Babrazam. Without him, Pakistan wouldn't have drawn this match. Let's talk about Abdullah Shafiq quickly. I thought he played well for his 96. He got out for 13 in the first innings, run out by Mitchell Swepson, but I thought he did well to redeem himself. Uh, picked up where he left off at Royal Pindi when he scored the 136 not out in the second innings there. Should have got his century and would have been disappointed to get out the way he did, playing a loose drive outside the off stump away from his body, which saw him get caught by Steve Smith at slip off the bowling of Pat Cummins, and Steve Smith was relieved to hold on to that catch after Steve Smith dropped Shafiq early on on day four. Um, he was a bit impatient. He's a young player and he will learn. Uh, next time, just be a bit, bit more patient and choose the right ball to score off. If he can do that, he will score more centuries and become a very good player for Pakistan. So a brilliant contribution from him in terms of helping Pakistan draw the match and a brilliant innings from Shafiq. He's a, he's a serious player. Um, just to finish off on batting, uh, Pakistan's batting performance, let's talk about Mohamed Rizwan quickly. I thought he batted well for his 104 not out. Um, a brilliant century from him. Despite Pakistan not going for the win, he was prepared to play his natural game, which is being aggressive and looking to score even towards the end when Pakistan needed to be defensive after losing a few quick wickets towards the end of the test match. He was able to be aggressive, play his shots and score a magnificent century. So a wonderful century from Mohamed Wizwan. Um, overall, it was a brilliant effort from Pakistan with the bat to save this test match. After batting poorly in the first innings, they were able to learn from their mistakes and apply those lessons in their second innings, which saw them to draw the test. Let's have a look at the Pakistan bowlers' performance in this second test from the National Stadium. No wickets for Azhar Ali, a wicket for Azam, two wickets for Ashraf, two wickets for Sajid Khan, two wickets for Hassan Ali, one wicket for Norman Ali, and two wickets to Afridi. That's how the Pakistan bowlers went about things in this second test from the National Stadium. I thought Pakistan's bowling in the first innings wasn't their greatest bowling performance. Um, they weren't able to bowl a consistent line and length. They didn't build any pressure on the Australian batsmen, couldn't take any wickets at regular intervals, and didn't quite bowl to a plan for a long period of time. They sort of were chopping and changing their plans, and they were a bit impatient because wickets weren't falling. Um, and they weren't able to build pressure or any sort of pressure on the Australian bowlers. And conceding 559 runs in the first innings uh, is not a good uh, position to be in. And obviously that put Pakistan on the back foot straight away. Um, so yeah, so they, they couldn't do, um, do that on a consistent basis in terms of bowling to a plan, bowling the same ball over and over again on the same spot, being consistent. Their lines and lengths were a bit over the place. And they were impatient, as I mentioned before. Um, there was a lot of talk about Pakistan's bowling in terms of their negative line outside leg stump. That caused a lot of debate amongst cricket fans around the world um, in terms of, you know, Pakistan being too negative. I was a bit... I could understand why they went with the tactic because they wanted to uh, control the run rate. Australia were batting well and Pakistan knew, okay, we're not going to control the run rate here, so we need to bowl a negative line outside leg stump to just control the run rate. Um, and, and that was when the spinners were operating, uh, Norman Ali uh, and Sajid Khan, they were bowling that line outside leg stump. To me, that, that was a bit negative, and I was a bit confused by that, uh, the tactics there. I think it's very important for Pakistan not to be negative. I think when they bowled that negative line outside leg stump, they were not looking to take wickets. And when you've lost the toss in a test match and you're bowling first and you're conceding a lot of runs, the best way to control the run rate is to take wickets. Get a wicket, new batsman comes in, the run rate comes down because he's got to take time to get into his innings and get the partnership re-established. I think that's the best way to control the run rate. Take wickets. Look to take wickets and be positive. I think for Pakistan, it's very important for them to be positive because they've got bowlers in this side like Afridi, Norman Ali, Hassan Ali, Sajid Khan, Fahim Ashraf. They can take wickets. But it's very important for Pakistan to think in a positive mindset. When you think negatively, 
it has a major impact on how the rest of the, um, the team performs. But if you think positively, it will have a big impact on the team. So I think for Pakistan, heading into the next test, I want to see them be a bit more positive with the ball and back, back the bowlers, back the bowlers, because they can get wickets. Um, I just thought that negative line outside leg stump and it wasn't a good move because you've got to be positive. Look to be positive. Look to take wickets. I just thought in that time when they bowled the leg stump line, sure, they controlled the run rate and Australia weren't scoring and they brought the run rate down. But I just felt it was an opportunity missed because they weren't looking to take wickets. So I hope for the second test match, Pakistan look to be a bit more positive with the ball and back their bowlers and back their abilities because they can definitely take 20 wickets. It's just in this series, and the Australian bowlers have found it out, found out this as well, is that it's, a, it's been a very tough series in terms of uh, taking wickets because the pitchers have been quite good for batting and the bowlers have, have to work hard for their wickets. So I think for Pakistan, heading into the, uh, the next test match at Lahore, where the test match and the test series is on the line, they've got to be a bit more positive with the ball and look to take wickets. So I thought that was a bit confusing when they bowled that negative line outside leg stump. Um, the second innings bowling performance, not much to talk about there. Australia were looking to bat again and looking to score quick runs and push their lead up, which they did. Um, Afridi and Hassan Ali took a wicket each, uh, which was good for them, obviously, to pick up another wicket in this test match. Um, overall, it was an okay bowling performance from Pakistan, but they can definitely improve their bowling heading into the final test at Lahore. Overall, it was a fantastic effort from Pakistan to draw this test match. After getting bowled out for 148 in their first innings, many didn't give them a chance of drawing the test match. But it took a captain's knock from Babar Azam and valuable contributions from Abdullah Shafiq and Mohammad Rizwan to get Pakistan over the line and draw the test match. Let's have a look at Australia's team performance with both bat and ball in this second test at the National Stadium. We'll start with their batsmen. Warner, 36-7. Kawaja, 160 and 44 not out. Labashane, 0 and 44. Smith, 72. Head, 23. Green, 28. And Kerry, 93. That's how the Australian batsmen went about things in this second test at the National Stadium. I thought Australia's batting in this test match was very good. Um, their batting in the first innings was very good. Australia batted well to get to 9 for 559 declared in their first innings. Usman Khawaja took it upon himself to be that batsman to get that big score, which he did with 160, which uh, set the platform for Australia in their first innings. The partnerships of 82 for the first wicket between Khawaja and Warner, 159 for the third wicket between Khawaja and Smith, 54 for the fourth wicket between Khawaja and Lyon, and 98 for the eighth wicket between Stark and Carey. All of those contributions were crucial partnerships in terms of Australia getting to their first inning score of 9 for 559 declared, and that put Australia into a good position to uh, win this test match and put them into a strong position and had that ascendancy in the game. Um, Australia's batting in the second innings. Nothing much to talk about in the second innings. Australia chose not to enforce the follow-on. Pat Cummins said we'll bat again. Um, they finished on 2 for 97 declared to set Pakistan a target of 506 runs to win. Kawaja and Labashain added 77 runs for the second wicket. And uh, Marnus Labashain got some runs in the second innings, which is good for him. Obviously got run out for a duck in the first innings by Sajid Khan. He wasn't quite happy about that, as we saw the images of Labashain just sitting in the dressing rooms with his hand on his head, pondering and thinking what could have been. Um, and he got out for a duck. But in the second innings, he was able to redeem himself and score 44 runs until he got out, and then Australia declared. So, overall, I thought Australia's batting was pretty good. Um, some batsmen I want to highlight and talk about here. We'll start with Usman Khawaja. Where do you start with him? Uh, magnificent innings, I thought. 160 he made. Carried on where he left off from Raw Pindi. This century, he will remember for a long time. Uh, Khawaja just made it look so easy, you know. He bats in that relaxed manner and state, as we've mentioned many times before. He just made it look so easy. Um, you know, great mental toughness, great uh, processes that he has in terms of his routines, his methods, the way he goes about his batting. It pretty much he was on cruise control for the whole innings. It didn't seem like he moved an extra gear or two. Usually batsmen have gears, they go up in their innings. 
just like on a car, you go into first gear, second gear, third gear. With Kawaja, he was pretty much on first gear on cruise control. You know, he set the cruise control for this uh, innings, and he said, right, I'm going to set the cruise control and go about my work. That's what he did. Um, it was magnificent to watch him in terms of his batting. He made it look so easy. Um, this time around, he didn't play the reverse sweep to get to his century like he did at Royal Pindy. Um, so he learnt from that from that lesson and that experience to put away the reverse sweep, just play normally, conventional cricket shots to get to the century. And it was a special moment when he got that century, just punching the air, celebrating. The crowd went up, uh, cheering him on. Um, and it was a magnificent moment uh, to see there with Usman Kawasha. And a century he will remember for a long time. Um, I did say before in our first test match review about Kawasha, he'll definitely get a century on this tour, and he definitely has. 160, nearly got the, the double century. Um, very unlucky to get out the way he did. Uh, 30 runs short of the double century, but uh, he batted magnificently, and it's good to see him scoring runs, and I don't know why Australia left him out of the, the test side for so long. Ever since he's come back, um, when he came back into the ashes for that fourth test in Sydney and scored those back-to-back -back centuries, He's just been in sublime form, and he's scoring runs for front. Um, you know, he's pretty much in that cruise control state where he's just scoring runs at will. Uh, so brilliant to see that from Usman Khawaja. Um, Steve Smith, um, he batted well for his 72. He'll be disappointed not to get the century again. Uh, but the important thing for Steve Smith is that he's scoring runs. Um, he's not quite the Steve Smith that we know. Um, he's not quite at his best, but at least he's scoring runs for Australia. That's the important thing. Hopefully in the last test, he'll be able to break that drought and get the century and um, score a century for Australia, which will contribute to Australia winning the series, hopefully, in the last test in Karachi. Uh, sorry, at Lahore. Um, but he'll be disappointed again to get out the way he did. He had a very good partnership with Usman Kawaja of 159 for the third wicket, which really set up Australia in their innings to get to that uh, 9 for 559 score. Uh, which put them in a good position. So Steve Smith will be disappointed, but also for Australian fans, it's good to see him scoring runs and backing up his um, performances in this series. Hopefully that century is around the corner. Uh, David Warner, Marnus Labuschagne, Travis Head, Cameron Green had mixed test matches and mixed results. Um, a lot of them didn't score big scores, so they'll be disappointed that they didn't um, really make the... Uh, uh, didn't really get going... Um, in this test match. They'll be disappointed that they didn't really kick on and get a big score. Uh, Labuschagne was disappointed when he got run out for a duck, but he was able to make 44 in the second innings. David Warner made 36. He was looking good, then got out. Uh, Travis Head missed out again with 23. Uh, Cameron Green got 28, missed out again. Um, so they'll be disappointed. Hopefully for them, they can uh, get going, score some runs in the next test um, at uh, Lahore. Um... Alex Carey, I want to talk about him quickly before we move on to Australia's bowling performance. I was very impressed with Alex Carey. 93 he made, his highest score in his test career, his second half century. His first half century came in the Ashes in the second test at the Adelaide Oval, uh, which is his home ground. Um, he came in um, late in the innings. Obviously, Australia just lost Usman Khawaja. Um, it looked like at one stage Australia weren't getting to a score of over 500. He came in and he had a good partnership with Mitchell Stark, who the both of them added 98 for the eighth wicket, which was a handy partnership for Australia to ensure they got a score over 500 in the first innings. Um, also, Alex Carey kept well behind the stumps. I thought he kept well throughout the whole match. There's been some pressure on Carey because of his wicket-keeping skills. After what we saw in the Ashes, he dropped a few catches. It was a bit sloppy. But I thought in this test match, by him scoring 93 runs in the first innings, that boosted his confidence for the work behind the stumps with the gloves. And he certainly uh, did well behind the stumps. Not easy keeping in the subcontinent. You have to stand up very close to the pitch because the edges don't carry. Um, also keeping to spin for a lot of overs. I thought he, his glove work to the spinners was good. His glove work to the quicks was good. He took a very good catch um, in the second innings, which was good. Off Pat Cummins' bowling, um, which was pretty good. I think that was the wicket of Alarm. Uh, where Alam edged one and, and Kerry took a very good catch down low um, off Pat Cummins' bowling. So very impressed with Alex Kerry's uh, performance in this 
in, in this test match. He'll be disappointed that he didn't quite get the century. 93 runs, he would have taken that. If you asked him, you know, I'll give you 93 runs in this test match, would you take that? I think Kerry would take that. He would have liked the century. The shot he played, he, he played the reverse sweep. He played the sweep shot well. Uh, that's definitely a plan from Kerry to play uh, the sweep shot against the spinners. I thought he played those shots very well. Unfortunately, he was trying to go for another sweep shot when he got out to Babrazam, obviously, got out clean bold. Um, he'll be disappointed with that. But as I said, it was a very good knock from Kerry, and hopefully for him, um, obviously he's not going to be the next Adam Gilchrist. We can't expect that from Kerry. There's only one Adam Gilchrist, and that's Adam Gilchrist. But with Kerry, you want your wicketkeeper, usually at number seven, to average around about 30, mid-30s, if they can get the odd half century and the odd century and do well behind the stumps, then they're doing their job. So if Alex Carey can do that on a consistent basis and build off this innings and build off this test match, hopefully for him, he will have great success at test level. But very happy to see Carey do well. Um, some other positives from Australia's batting before we wrap up and, and talk about their bowling performance. Um, I thought Australia did well in terms of their batting uh, the one big positive I saw from them was batting for two days. And that's very important. Australia haven't really batted long periods of time in Test cricket for a long time now. They haven't been able to kick on and get those big scores in the first innings and bat for two days and get over 500 runs. They were able to do that in this Test match, which is fantastic to see. Good signs that Australia are finally getting things together, um, finding ways and working on their methods and processes to bat for long periods of time and get those big scores of 550 plus in the first innings and bat for two days. And that's what they did in this test match. By doing that, that put them in a good position to uh, win this test match. Unfortunately, they couldn't take the wickets to wrap it up and win the test. But good signs with the bat going forward, not only for the last test of the series against Pakistan at Lahore in a few days' time, but also when Australia go to Sri Lanka and when they go to India... Hopefully they can carry on this good form with the bat into those series as we progress um, during the, the subcontinental tours. Um, so I thought that was a big tick and a big positive from them. And also um, one batsman scoring that big score. From the last test match at Royal Pindi, no one really got that big score. None of the openers or the top order batsmen got that really big hundred. Um, good to see Usman Khawaja do that in this test match. Here at, Royal, um, here at Karachi, he was able to score that big century. So good signs there from Australia. Overall, it was a good batting display from Australia, which put them into a strong position in this test match. They will take a lot of positives from this batting performance headed into the final test at Lahore. Let's have a look at the performances from the Australian bowlers in this second test match at the National Stadium in Karachi. No wickets for Labashane. Two wickets for Green, three wickets for Stark, three wickets for Cummins, two wickets for Swepson, and five wickets for Nathan Lyon. That's how the Australian bowlers went about things in this second test match at the National Stadium. Um, I thought Australia's bowling in, in the first innings was pretty good. Uh, they were able to bowl out Pakistan for 148, which was, which was good, which ensured Australia a lead of 408 runs in the first innings, which was a very dominant position to be in after they bowled them out for 148. Um, they were able to take wickets at regular intervals throughout the uh, the first innings of Pakistan's batting. Uh, they were able to build pressure on the Pakistan batsmen. They, they, they were able to stick to their plans for long periods of time. They were patient with their plans um, with the ball. The Australian bowlers, in particular Mitchell Stark, used the reverse swing uh, very well, which caused problems for the Pakistan batsmen. And Australia were able to use that well. Uh, Cummins, Stark and Green were able to use that reverse swing and get the wickets for Australia, which put them in a good position after the first innings, which gave them a lead of 408 runs. Um, the second innings bowling performance from Australia uh, was good at times and poor. Uh, wickets were hard to come by as the pitch still remained pretty good for batting if you applied yourself as a batsman. Even though the pitch had a bit more rough and a few more cracks and a few deliveries spun, a few balls kept low um, here in Karachi, the pitch was still pretty good for batting and wickets were hard to come by for Australia. So Australia knew that wickets were going to be hard to get in the second innings and they knew that Pakistan were going to bat better than they did in their, um, in their first innings when they got bowled out for 148. 
Um, so Australia knew that, and they knew the challenge that was ahead of them. Um, I thought Australia's lines and lengths were inconsistent at times. They didn't really uh, nail that consistency with their lines and lengths, um, and bowling a good line and length over and over and over again. They weren't able to do that like they did in the first innings. They couldn't sustain pressure for long periods of time. Um, they were able to keep Pakistan really quiet at the start of Pakistan's second innings. Pakistan weren't really scoring. They were looking to survive, looking to get in and get set for the long challenge ahead, which was trying to bat out the overs and draw the test match, which they did in the end, Pakistan. But at the start, Australia had good pressure at the start, and I thought that pressure went away as the innings progressed. As the Pakistan batsmen got in, in particular Shafiq, Azam, and then Rizwan, in those partnerships that they, those three batsmen had, the wheels sort of fell off for Australia, and they didn't really sustain the pressure and keep the pressure on like they did to the Pakistan batsmen in the first innings. The ball wasn't reversing as much as it did in the first innings for Australia. Um, in the first innings, they got the ball to reverse um, all around corners. Well, they got the ball to reverse, and it did enough. In the second innings, it didn't really reverse all that much. It only reversed a little bit, and the Pakistan batsmen were able to play the reverse swing a bit better, and there wasn't much on offer for Australia in terms of assistance from the pitch, in terms of reverse swing, the inconsistent bounce, or the spin out of the rough. Um, also, Australia missed some opportunities in the field, which didn't help their cause. Uh, some catches were dropped. Steve Smith dropped Abdullah Shafiq early on in his innings and went on to make 96 and had a big partnership with Babar Azam of 228 for the third wicket, which was very crucial for Pakistan in terms of then drawing this test match, which took a lot of time out of the match, frustrated Australia, and was able to help Pakistan draw the match. Also, two difficult chances dropped by Travis Head and Manus Labashain off Babar Azam, off Mitchell Swepson's bowling up close to the wicket, obviously at silly point and at short leg. Some tough chances that came to them down low. They couldn't grab them. Um, so if they grabbed those, it would have made a difference, uh, but they weren't able to grab them. Also, Usman Khawaja, just before the end of the test match, dropped Mohamed Rizwan. Um, obviously, he was wearing a helmet. Uh, Khawaja, obviously, Khawaja was fielding up close um, to the wicket. He was wearing a helmet. He didn't take his helmet off. And Adam Collins from the Final Word podcast picked this up. When I listened to him talking about the match, he picked up on this little thing that no one else picked up on that Kawasha was wearing a helmet. And if Kawasha didn't wear the helmet, he would have caught that ball. Um, it's very hard to catch a cricket ball with a helmet on because you you can't really see the ball when it comes to you. Um, he was wearing a helmet. He dropped the, the catch off Mahaba Rizwan. That was with three overs remaining off Mitchell Swepson's bowling. He was having a tough time of it, and that wicket would have done his confidence the world of good. Unfortunately, uh, Kawasha didn't uh, hang on to the catch. Um, so those... Um, catches and those opportunities. Australia were ruining those missed opportunities and dropped catches. That would have made a difference in terms of them finishing up this test match, getting the last three wickets to win the test match. And, um, you know, unfortunately it didn't happen, uh, which is disappointing. Also, Australia had a few run-out chances as well um, in terms of the Pakistan batsmen. Their running in this test match from Pakistan was quite poor between the wickets. They had a lot of mix-ups. They had two runouts, um, and Australia nearly had some opportunities to get runouts in the second innings. Unfortunately, they missed the stumps, and they couldn't take those opportunities. So a lot of those half opportunities, if Australia took them, it would have made a big difference in them in terms of them winning this test match and leading 1-0 in the series by now. Unfortunately, the old cliche goes, as we say in cricket, catches win matches, and Australia dropped their chances and couldn't get the job done in the last innings. It's happened again, hasn't it? Um... So yes, yeah, so a very okay but poor bowling performance at times from Australia. Um, I just want to quickly talk about Mitchell Swepson. There's been a lot of people judging him after this first test, which I think is a bit unnecessary. Um, it's only his first test match. Let's give the guy a break. You know, he's waited for a long time to come into test match cricket. There was a lot of pressure on him, especially to bowl Australia to victory. To be fair to him... The pitch wasn't really offering that much. Um, throughout this series, the pitches at Royal Pindi and here in Karachi haven't really turned as much as we expect. And that's usually the case in Pakistan where the spinners 
don't really take majority of the wickets. It's more of the pace bowlers who take the majority of the wickets in test matches in Pakistan, not the spinners. So you've got to factor in that as well. Um, obviously, none for 156 in the second innings. Um, apparently, that's the third worst bowling figures by a bowler on test debut. Um, but you've got to remember, he bowled over 53.4 overs, uh, which is the most overs on debut by an Australian debutante since Tim May, uh, who bowled 54 overs against New Zealand at Adelaide in 1987. So he bowled over 53.4 overs. Of course you're going to go for over 156 runs. Um, so he had a tough time of it. I thought he bowled some good deliveries in both innings. Uh, the second, the first innings, he got two for 32, um, and that's where Pakistan was, was struggling towards the end, and he got some, some wickets there. But the second innings, I thought he bowled um, some good deliveries, but also he bowled some full tosses, some long hops, some half trackers. And we can forgive him for that because bowling leg spin is hard, and you're going to bowl the occasional full toss, half tracker, uh, long hop, and you are going to get hit for runs and get smashed. But it's very important to back the leg spinner. And that's what uh, you need to do um, for any bowler, not just a leg spinner. You need to back them and, and say, right, you know, head up, chin up. You know, you've got this. And, you know, his, his line and length at times was a bit inconsistent. But uh, you, you can forgive him for that because he's, it's his first test. He's nervous, excited, a lot of pressure on him. Uh, because he's been around the team for years and then all of a sudden comes into his first test and then people judge him. I don't think we should judge him just off this one performance. Many of the great players who have played the game have debuted in test cricket, for example. Batsmen and bowlers have always had a tough start to their test career. You know, as soon as we see someone on debut, we expect them to perform straight away. It's not usually the case, you know. It happens to the best players in the world, you know, like... Don Bradman, for example, he didn't start scoring centuries from his debut. You know, he got dropped after his debut, came back, scored hundreds and became the best batsman in the world. Um, so with Mitchell Swepson, you know, he shouldn't be discouraged by, by this. It, you know, it's his first test. He'll be nervous. But I thought he bowled some good deliveries at times. I think for him, it's just about trying to look back on this and improve, look to get better. And that's what you need to do as a cricketer. Look to get better. Um, and I thought he, he did okay. His second innings bowling figures don't reflect some of the deliveries he bowled, um, and obviously he bowled some poor balls at times, but I think we should just cut him some slack, you know, give him a chance to prove himself. It's only his first test. Let's not, too be, let's not be too harsh on him in his first test match for Australia. I thought he did an okay job, but there's still a lot of work to improve on. Um, before we finish up about the Australian bowling performance, I want to talk about the tactics by the Australian bowlers in the second innings. Um, could they have done better? I think they could have. Now, Australia, yet again, couldn't finish off the job in the last innings of a test match. This is the fifth test where they haven't finished off the job bowling last. Obviously, we have to go back to Headingley 2019 against England in the Ashes, 2020-21 at the SCG and at the Gabba against India and 2021-22 at the SCG against England in the recent Ashes series, and now this test match at Karachi in 2022, they haven't been able to get the job done bowling last. It's a bit concerning that Australia can't seem to finish off the job bowling last, but all those teams in those matches I just mentioned put in some brilliant performances to either win or draw those matches. Um, and Australia in all those matches gave it their best. And they gave their best shot here in Karachi. Um, obviously, the one big issue coming out of this test match now is Pat Cummins not enforcing the follow-on. There's been a lot of discussion about that. He chose not to enforce the follow-on, and Australia batted again. Um, it's usually in the modern era where teams don't like to enforce the follow-on. I can understand why people said he should have enforced it. Because you lead by over 408 runs, which Australia did on the first innings. And a lot of people said, enforce the follow-on, Pat. You know, But I think we can jump to conclusions and people just jump to conclusions and expect, oh, you know, it's pretty straightforward. Let's just send them back in and bowl them out again cheaply. That didn't happen. Um, and as we saw in the second innings, Pakistan batted much better than they did in the, in the first innings. So Australia, the odds of them bowling them out cheaply 
were very slim because the pitch was still pretty good for batting, even though it had a few cracks and rough and few balls kept low, it was still pretty good for batting, it usually is, here in Karachi. So I think people just jump to conclusions and expect that if Australia enforced the follow-on, it would have been plain sailing, very easy, we'll bowl them out cheaply again and win the test match by an innings. It doesn't happen that way. Um, there's a lot of factors to consider, and there's many factors and hypotheticals that we can play out and consider in terms of Pat Cummins' decision not to enforce the follow-on. Australia just wanted to bat once in this test match. Um, they didn't want to bat last and chase a small target in the last innings. That's not what they wanted to do. Um, Pakistan weren't going to bat poorly in their second innings, and Australia wasn't going to bowl them out cheaply. Um, also, you have to consider the workload of the bowlers. They have bowled a lot of overs in this series thus far. In the first test match, the Australian bowlers bowled 162 overs and 77 overs. And in the second test match, they bowled 53 overs and 171.4 overs. So that's a lot of overs. You do the maths, that's a lot of overs. Um, and in, in this series, the bowlers have found it a bit difficult to take wickets because of the nature of the surfaces. So those are the factors to consider in terms of Pat Cummins, his decision not to enforce a follow-on. Um, but I feel like people just jump to conclusions and expect it to be easy. It's never easy to take 10 wickets. And the team who's batted first, they're never going to bat badly in the second innings. And that's what happened with Pakistan. Imagine this. If Pakistan were asked to follow on by Pat Cummins, they would have batted the way they did in the last innings in the third innings of the match. So if they did that, if they were asked to follow on, then Australia had to chase a low target to, to win the match in the last innings. And that's not what Australia wanted to do. Um, also, a lot of people have suggested that maybe Kolkata 2001 probably has put off Australia enforcing the follow-on in recent times. Um, probably yes, because that backfired on Steve Waugh. He, he asked India to follow on. What happened next? Laxman and Dravid both made big centuries, and India won the match. And then you have to go back from 2001 back to 1981 in Headingley in that famous test match where Ian Botham scored that century after England were asked to follow on by Australia, and then England set Australia a low target to chase in the last innings. Guess what happens? Australia got bowled out cheaply, and the late Bob Willis took eight wickets, and England won the match. So I think those two matches in Australia's test history in terms of forcing the follow-on has put them off, and that's understandable. But it's just the modern era. All I'm trying to say is it's, it's just the modern era. Teams don't like to enforce it. And I don't think it would have made any difference anyway if Pat Cummins enforced the follow-on or not. Um, I think this match would have ended in a draw still, maybe. These hypotheticals that play out, and we have to factor in the facts and not jump to conclusions, because it's not straightforward. If people, as I said before, if people expected Australia to bowl them out cheaply, you know, then you probably haven't watched the test match. The pitch was still pretty good for batting, and it was going to be very hard for Australia, as they found out in the last innings, they were going to bowl over 171 overs, which they did, to take 10 wickets. That's a lot of bowling. And it's hard work. And it was definitely a challenge for them. So, of course he's going to get crucified for that. Of course he's going to get some stick and some criticism. But I wasn't surprised when he batted again. I was a bit surprised that he didn't declare overnight. He decided to bat on a bit on day four. I was a bit surprised by that. But overall, it's just the modern era. And that's just how teams go about it. Um, also... The last thing to touch on before we wrap up about Australia's bowling performance, I, um, I was a bit a bit um, confused by Australia's bowling changes towards the end of the match. I think Pat Cummins should have bowled himself a bit more towards the end of the test match, and also with Mitchell Stark and Cameron Green. Um, he didn't really go to himself or, or Stark or Green all that much towards the back end of the match. He went with the spinners in terms of Swepson and Lyon to get the breakthroughs. Obviously, Nathan Lyon got those two big wickets of Babar Azam and then Ashrif. Um, and he was able to break through um, and really crack, crack it open for Australia. But he didn't really turn to himself or Stark or Green all that much towards the end. Because, you know, the Pakistan batsmen faced a few overs of spin. They were getting used to the spin. The ball wasn't really turning that much. Manus was brought into the attack just before the end uh, to bowl a few overs of spin. One turned out of the rough. So maybe Cummins should have bowled himself. 
and Stark and Green a bit more. So, yeah, I was a bit confused by that by Cummins. But overall, it was a good effort from Australia with the ball. They did well to bowl Pakistan out for 148 in their first innings. But they will be disappointed they couldn't take the last three wickets to win the test match and finish off the job. Let's preview the third test of the series between Pakistan and Australia from the Gaddafi Stadium. Talk about the potential 11s for both teams and who's going to win this third test. Let's have a look at both teams' test stats at the Gaddafi Stadium in test matches. The first test played between Pakistan and Australia here at the Gaddafi Stadium at Lahore was back in 1959. They've played five matches. Three of them have been draws. Pakistan and Australia have won one game each. So those are the stats between Pakistan and Australia in terms of test matches at the Gaddafi Stadium at Lahore. Let's have a look at both teams' potential 11s for the third test. We'll start with Pakistan's potential 11 for the third test at the Gaddafi Stadium. Shafiq Al-Haq, Azhar Ali, Azam, Alam, Rizwan, Ashraf, Sajid Khan, Hassan Ali, Norman Ali, and Afridi. I think Pakistan will keep the same 11 for the third test at the Gaddafi Stadium. It's important for Pakistan to keep that cohesion within the team. Uh, you don't want to make too many changes to the team. Uh, you don't want to unsettle the team. Um, heading into an important test match, which this last test match is very important for both teams uh, because it will decide who will win the series. So you want to play your best 11. And to me, I feel like this 11 for Pakistan is their best 11. Um, so they won't be making any changes, I don't think, heading into this all-important third and final test match at Lahore. But they could make a change depending on conditions. If conditions dictate they need to make some changes, they probably will make a change if that happens. But I think they'll stick with the same 11 uh, for this third and final test at uh, the Gaddafi Stadium. So that could be Pakistan's potential 11 for the third test. Let's have a look at Australia's potential 11 for the third test at the Gaddafi Stadium. Warner, Kawaja, Labashane, Smith, Head, Green, Carey, Stark, Cummins, Swepson and Lyon. I think Australia will keep the same 11 for the third test at the Gaddafi Stadium. Uh, just like Pakistan, it's very important to keep that cohesion within the team. And... This team from Australia, they've been playing well in this series. Um, the batting unit has fired and clicked. They're starting to get runs and score runs on a consistent basis throughout this uh, series thus far. The bowlers have done well as a bowling group. Um, it's been tough work for the bowling group, bowling a lot of overs. But um, I think Australia will keep the same 11 to keep that cohesion and unity in the team. As I said before, you don't want to make too many changes heading into a very important test match, which will decide who will win this series. With the series now locked at nil all, this third test match at Lahore is all important for both teams in terms of who's going to win this test series. So I think Australia will keep the same 11. And also Andrew McDonald, the caretaker coach of Australia at the moment, he indicated that Mitchell Stark is likely to play in this last test. So that's a bit of a sign that Australia will keep the same bowling combination in terms of Stark, Cummins, Swepson and Lyon and Cameron Green obviously being the all-rounder, of course, offering that balance to the side. So that's an indication that we'll keep the same bowling attack at least and also with the batsmen as well, we'll keep the same batting um, lineup. So that's an indication that Australia will keep the same 11. But Australia may consider a change if conditions at Lahore dictate that you probably need another fast bowler and probably one less spinner. They could bring back Josh Hayeswood or even Scott Boland. But it's unlikely that will happen. Uh, they'll likely stick with the two-spinner approach and Swepson and Lyon. I know Mitchell Swepson had a hard time of it on debut, but it's important for Australia to back him and give him that confidence. You don't want to drop someone after their first test after they had you know, a very tough time of it. You want to back him and support him. So I think Australia will do that. So Australia will keep the same 11. They'll keep the same bowling combination in terms of the two-spinners and Stark and Cummins as the main quicks, and then obviously Cameron Green as that all-rounder to back up Stark and Cummins. So that could be Australia's potential 11 for the third test. And these teams could be the potential 11s for both teams heading into this third test at the Gaddafi Stadium. Who's going to win this third test at the Gaddafi Stadium? I can't choose a winner. Um, I really can't because this test match could go either way. It could be another arm wrestle, just like we saw at Karachi. Uh, it could be the same here at Lahore. Uh, both teams in this test match at uh, Karachi, it was a bit of an arm wrestle. Uh, both teams were playing some good cricket, some nutritional cricket, and that's been the theme in the series 
is that teams have batted, both teams have batted long. They've bowled long as well. They've bowled a lot of overs. They've batted for a lot of overs. So both teams are prepared to play the long game and obviously play that nutritional style of cricket, which everyone loves in Test Match Cricket, just to see the battle and the grind. That's what you want to see. So I'm expecting another uh, arm wrestle again here at uh, Lahore for the third Test at the Gaddafi Stadium. Um, yeah, so I can't really choose a winner. Uh, both teams are prepared to play the long game, and we could see another Test Match going to five days again. And hopefully this time we see a result. Uh, I think everyone wants to see a result. Um, but anyway, um, whoever can execute with both bat and ball and in the field over the five days will come out on top and win this test match at Lahore and win the series. Uh, but I'm hoping we have a good contest between the bat and the ball and between both teams, just like we saw here in Karachi. Let's hope we see that for the third and final test match of the series. And may the best team win. So... I can't choose a winner. It could go either way, but I think everyone will expect that this test match will go down to the wire and it will probably go into five days. Um, go for five days. It will be nutritional cricket. Both teams are prepared to play the long game and whoever can execute their skills, as I said before, with the bat and the ball and in the field will come out on top and win the test match, but more importantly, win the series. What can we expect from both teams heading into the third test at the Gaddafi Stadium? Pakistan will have lots of confidence and belief heading into the third and final test at Lahore. They will need to back up their good performance with the bat and also look at areas to improve on with their batting. Also, they need to look at areas to improve on in their bowling. If they can do that and put together a strong performance, then they are a good chance to win this test series. Australia will be looking at areas to improve on with both bat and ball heading into the third and final test at Lahore. Australia will be happy with their batting performance from this second test and hopefully they can back it up for the final test. They'll be disappointed not to get the job done with the ball in this second test at Karachi, but if they can improve on certain areas of their bowling for this final test at Lahore, and if their batting holds up, they can definitely win this series. What a test match we have seen at Karachi. Both teams fought until the very end and gave it everything they had. Australia fought hard with the ball and couldn't get the job done, all thanks to a wonderful captain's knock from Babarazar who offered massive resistance and blunted the Australian bowlers to guide his team to a draw. With the series locked at nil all, heading into Lahore, let's hope we see another exciting test match and may the best team win. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode. Be sure to subscribe and click the bell to get the latest episodes of the podcast and like and share our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and on Instagram. Until next time, keep safe and bye for now.